Good morning. Today is Tuesday, September 27th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for listening and gathering around God's Word with us this morning. Whether you tune in over the air, stream online, download the show, it doesn't matter. I'm just glad you're here. Settle in. Open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is underwritten by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Visit them at lhfmissions.org to learn more. And if you have questions or comments about today's show, or maybe you just want to say hello, you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's pastorboo at gmail.com. Every Friday, I begin the show by pulling from some of those emails, so be sure to tune in for that. Also, we're live today on Tuesday, so call in with your comments or questions at 800-730-2727. Now, St. Paul, so far, has been warning the Corinthian Christians against all sorts of temptations the temptation to fall back into the pagan ways of the world. And more than just eating and drinking in an idol's temple, there were many enticements to join in with the non-Christians around them. It seems that the Corinthians thought that they may be immune to such temptations. In 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 22, which is our text for today, St. Paul perceives that these saints were holding up their participation in the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper as proof that they couldn't be led astray, or at least not easily. Idolatry, sexual immorality, putting God to the test, grumbling, but these things were happening in Corinth. But they had also happened to the people of the Old Testament. So, nevertheless, if all of this is going on, and Paul is giving these these testimonies from the old to show them that even they could still disqualify themselves despite their baptisms and Lord's suppers, He wants to give them a word of comfort, one very familiar today, but often misunderstood. He says, God is faithful, but he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. What does that mean? Well, to help us make sense of all of this part of Paul's letter this morning, I'm pleased to welcome back as my guest, the Reverend John Lukomsky, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics on KFUO, which airs on Saturdays at 1030 in the morning. Pastor Lukomsky, good morning and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Boy, boy, I like uh, emeritus. <laughs> that sounds, fancy, that sounds impressive. It? it does, yeah. <laughs> and it's technically true, but I usually don't get called yeah. that. Or as long as they get called <laughs> for supper, as the old joke goes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, glad to be with you. This this is just a wonderful, wonderful text. Uh, uh, and, and, and I really like what you said about the fact that the, the Corinthians didn't think they had a problem. Uh, but of course, that's the whole point of this text. Uh, take heed, yeah. lest if you think you're going to, uh, no, I'm sorry, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Uh, but right. see, once you know that, once you know that falling's a possibility, man, this text is filled with probably one of the best promises. In fact, it's a promise that I'm sure you and I, I know I have used over and over again to comfort people in their time of, of struggle and trial. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited a, to do this together with you. Yeah, it's a thoroughly law gospel text. I think we're going to have a lot to chew on this morning. And yeah, lots of promises. There's some law here, of course. But the, the law does what it does. It convicts us. It leaves us hopeless in ourselves so that the only only thing left to do is to hope in Christ. 
So yeah, so, let's, so what it, let's get. Let, go ahead. I was going to say. So what it does is it makes sure you don't think you can stand. <laughs> that's what the law does. Exactly. And, no, and then no. you realize, oh, okay. I, okay, all right. That's all right. Because as, as, again, you quoted the key verse: "God is faithful." That's what you need to know. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay, I keep interrupting you. <laughs> that's okay. Which is interesting. I was going to say because of how people often interpret that particular passage about not being tempted beyond your ability. So I look forward to eventually getting to that. But no, I, I want you to take the reins, but let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll dig in. Well, Lord, we, we thank you. We, we thank you that you look down, and you know our weaknesses, and you know how hard it is. In fact, without you, it is impossible for us to stand. But we also thank you, then, that you are faithful. And no matter what we might be thinking, and no matter what doubts we might be struggling with, you, you're going to keep your promises to us. So fill us up, O oh Lord. Fill us up with all the promises you've made in Holy Scripture so that we might have faith, even in the time of our difficulty. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The e ESV editors label this section, Warning Against Idolatry. And that's true, but it's especially true of the first five verses. Brother, I'm going to read the first five verses, and that's the background. That's the example that Paul wants to set before these folks. And I think Phil, we can just Phil? get through that. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I see. You knew you knew you weren't going to get through it, didn't you, Phil? How often have we worked <laughs> together now? <laughs> Not often enough for me to get it yet. Go ahead. Oh, well, so I, if you don't mind, I would like to talk about a technical term that, that Paul uses before we actually get in to the the Old Testament example, as you said. Would that be all right? Go for it. Okay, because see, that's it. Like you said, we're going to start these opening verses, and he's going to take a story that probably most of us are as well familiar with, and then he's going to apply it uh, to the uh, Corinthians. And, and in the English, it's going to say, now these things happen to them as an example. Okay, but I think it might be helpful if we know that in the original language, that's actually a technical term that Paul is using there. It's not the ordinary word in the Greek for something that is an example. Uh, it is the word type. Um, and just to give a little background to the word type, and, 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 you know, there was a time, Phil, when I wouldn't have had to do this, but people don't know what typewriters are anymore, do they? I, I No one uses a typewriter. <laughs> But but a typewriter was a perfect example of this technical term because what it, for for you young people out there here's what a typewriter did we didn't have computers we didn't have word processors but we had this big machine and it had these metal keys that had letters on them and and if you looked at the key the letter was very very clear and very very distinct you would know exactly that it was an A or a B and a C and then this this uh, metal hammer would fall down on a ribbon that was covered with ink and you would get a letter then on your paper, and it wasn't quite as clear, quite as distinct as this piece of metal that it's... I know people, really? There were pieces of metal slamming? That seems strange now when I say it. But that's how we used to have to type letters or type contracts or type everything. And, and, and that is the sense here, that there's something in the Old Testament that is actually a very uh, reflection of something very, very clear that, that goes on in the New Testament. It's not quite as clear because it's a type. See, it's not the, the anti-type. That's the flip side of that. That's the real thing. Um, and, and this is how the, the, the apostles regard everything in the Old Testament, that everything that goes on in the Old Testament is actually a, a type of Christ. 
and the things that God is doing uh, for those who have come to the end of the ages is the language that we're going to hear from Paul. Um, they, they can do this because it's what Jesus said in John 5, 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. And one of the great things about being a Lutheran, Phil, is we believe that, that there's everything in the Old Testament, and it all has to do with Jesus Christ. Um, Paul says the same thing in Colossians. He's talking about all the Old Testament uh, ceremonial laws, and he says these are a shadow of the things to come. Now, it's a little different image, but it's the same idea. That Now, now here's what's important. So we're going to hear something in the Old Testament, but but our listeners cannot hear it as, okay, now we're going to teach you a lesson. Okay, there's some lesson to be learned from what was going on in the Old Testament. But rather, we need to hear these things and, and realize, oh, everything that was going on, God had Christ in mind. He had you and me in mind. He had our listeners in mind. He had the whole plan of salvation that was going to be for all nations in mind. Uh, and so in a very real sense, when God takes the children of Israel to the promised land, that, that's really not what it's about. He's going to do that because that's what he said he's going to do. But really, all of that is God thinking ahead to what he's doing for us in Jesus Christ. Uh, I'll give you one more example of this, this technical word type uh, from Romans 5. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. So even in the creation of Adam, God was already thinking about Jesus, already be thinking about what he would need to do to save the world, and particularly then to save us. Um, so just, because I think it makes the Old Testament so more exciting. It's not just a book of history. It's not just a book of stories that might apply to the Jews. It's not even just think, oh, well, let's see if we can learn some lessons. No, no, it, it is a story of God's salvation. It is a type that will be fulfilled in the anti-type of Jesus Christ. So thank you for letting me give my little lecture <laughs> on type and anti-type. But it is the term that Paul is going to use here, so I think it's worth noting. Sounds good. Sounds like you're more of a deductive instructor, and I'm more of an inductive. So ah, let's okay. see if we can also um, come to that same conclusion by beginning with the text now, which is going to be chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So coming back to your typological examples, right, we see here that Paul is saying all, 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 indicating that within the group of people who experienced these prefigurations of the sacraments that would to, would come, particularly baptism, being baptized into Moses with this idea of all of them passing through the sea on their right and their left, all of them having the cloud lead and both protect them from behind. So this spiritual baptism that points forward to the New Testament baptism, and they all consume a Lord's Supper of sorts, a communion of spiritual food and drinking a spiritual drink which actually ends up being prefiguratively Christ, the spiritual rock, right? He specifically says rock was Christ. It is amazing how he's able to reach back into the Old Testament and take these things and say, we look to them as an example. 
you're clinging to these sacraments as if they are get out of hell free cards and now nothing can touch me little magical solomons like the pagan gods and idols around them and yet he says look at this all 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 of god's old testament people were baptized and communed in the same way and yet with most of them god was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness so, yeah, we see that typology that you're talking about, which when we get to verse six, eventually that'll make a lot more sense when we get to that word tupos, which is rendered here as examples. So going back to 10, though, and again, not as a basic Sunday school lesson, but explain for our listeners, you know, maybe in more detail exactly what this cloud was. What does it mean when they pass through the sea? I don't think we should assume that they've all heard these stories. I'm As you talk about young people not knowing what typewriters are i've actually never met anybody that i've never met anybody of any age that didn't know what a typewriter was but i've met lots of people who don't know the basics of the bible so yeah let's get a little bit of a refresher on these old testament texts well i'm, I'm telling you, you you just wait you just wait phil because kids don't even know how to write in cursive anymore <laughs> so it won't be long and no one will even know what a typewriter is but yeah yeah so so here here's the story of course it's the story of, of salvation it's the story of how the children of israel were, were slaves in egypt and how god said hey i'm i'm coming i'm going to deliver you set my people free to go worship me he, he tells pharaoh and he uses moses uh for that uh instance and of course the the passing through the sea there is, is the division of the red sea uh which he said so that's like baptism they went through water you went through water uh and, and you know it's interesting uh, again in this whole typology uh this type thing uh peter does the same thing except he relates it to the flood he said, you know, Moses and, and six people, they got on the ark and, and the water actually saved them. And he said, so baptism saves you too, see? So, so again, this idea that water somehow could make a difference. It's been in there since the flood. It was there as, as God led his people across the Red Sea. And of course, when the, uh, uh, Egyptians tried to follow them, the water falls down upon them. And, and so the same water that saves the Israelites is the same water that drowns all the evil and all the wicked. And we could run with that because Paul uses that in Romans chapter 6 where he says, you know, that's what happened to you when you were baptized. The same thing happened to you. The old evil sin in you was drowned and the new man comes to life for those who are baptized into Christ. Uh, and of course, the cloud is a reference to the fact, how did they get to the, to the Red Sea? How did they cross the Red Sea? How did they find their way through the wilderness? Well, that's because God gave them a cloud of fire at night and a, a, just a regular cloud during the day that, that led them. Uh, and of course, how did you survive in the wilderness for 40 years? Well, God provided you food. He gave them manna that just miraculously appeared. They got up one morning, there's all this stuff, uh, and they didn't know what it was. That's what manna means. I don't know what it is. And, and they ate that, and they lived. And, and then they complained, and God said, well, okay, I'll give you meat. And they, he sent them quail, and they had quail to eat. Uh, and this rock, the spiritual rock thing, now that's, that's kind of a cool thing, because that was a Jewish tradition. Uh, the, the Bible does talk about, uh, you know, uh, there, there being a rock that sprouted forth water. Uh, and the Jewish tradition was that they carried this rock around with them. Now, I don't know that the Bible ever says that, but that was their tradition. That's how they would have been familiar. And, and now... 
Paul says this profound thing. You know what that rock was that, that you drank from that sustained you in the wilderness? That was actually Jesus Christ. That's who it was all along. If you think that Jesus didn't show up until he was a babe born in Bethlehem, no, Jesus Christ was there watching over his people, always watches over his people, never stops watching over them. Um, so do you think that, by the way, real quick, because I do want to add something that people don't understand, I think, because we have this picture of them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And, and I think people need to note that that's not what happened. Uh, God actually took him to the promised land from the beginning. And now as we read on, we're going to see they're the ones that said, we don't want to go into the promised land. We wish we were back in Egypt. <laughs> we wish we wish we died in the wilderness. That is a stupid thing to say to God. Don't ever be so foolish because God says, OK, if that's what you want, that's what you'll do. And so for 40 years, they, they wandered in the wilderness until they uh well, we're going to get into that in the next verses. But is that a good enough summary, you think, uh, yeah. for what happened here? Yeah, and I think the rock thing was interesting because, as you said, and a lot of people probably haven't heard the fact that this was a legend, I guess is one way to describe it, of the Jewish people that they had this sort of, <laughs> I don't know, small rock that they were able to carry around and receive fresh water from. Typically, it comes from... The idea that, you know, Moses struck the rock and the water comes out and oh, they were yeah. somehow able yeah. to then transport. Yeah. That, that's the biblical reference to it. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah, well, let's put some more verses out on the table and then we'll see why Paul well, is giving and, them a little and, bit. Go ahead. And before we leave, we just need to emphasize again what you emphasized before. So God did all these things for them in the wilderness. And yet, with most of them, in fact, all of that generation who God had brought up promised land, no, God said, no, you won't, you won't enter the promised land. You're, you're going to do just what you said. You're going to die in the wilderness. But your children, your children, they, they will. Cause that's what I said. And whenever I make a promise, I always keep my promise. And, and your stubbornness and sinfulness, you can't stop me from accomplishing what I said. So you're right. There is a warning here, isn't it? Because they were overthrown in the wilderness. Actually, the Greek there means that they were sunk low. And that's exactly what the Old Testament said, that they all they all just fell. They fell in the wilderness. Uh, and that's what the word overthrown means there. They were laid low. Uh, okay. I'm sorry, Phil. <laughs> You'll get used to it after a while. Maybe. <laughs> so I'm ready now. Verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overcome you, overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Now, there we are at the end of verse 13. Take it away, Pastor. Okay, so, so we have this. Now these things took place as examples, 
but but like I said, that that's a technical term there. That's that uh, TPOS, uh, our, our type. Uh, again, so Paul is saying you got to understand everything you read in the Old Testament is actually about Christ, and therefore, if it's about Christ, it's about you, okay? Because uh, everything God does, He does for us. That, that's the, that's the key thing. I, I think it's also significant uh, that they desired evil. Okay, we're not just talking about the fact that they might have committed a sin. Because as Lutherans, we confess every morning that we have sinned against the Lord and against our neighbor. That that's how we're supposed to start our day by making confession. But this is beyond that. This this is a desire for evil. And again. Man, if you could look at each word here, it's like Paul's got his Old Testament uh, in front of him, and he's because that's exactly what it said in Numbers. It didn't just say they sinned, but but they they buried the people who had the craving. It says who had the craving. They, they desired this, uh, and again, the, the problem here is in the grumbling and and, and all these things that took place. <sighs> they were rejecting God. Um, we grumble. Do you, do you ever grumble, Phil? Do you? you, you. <laughs> Don't you complain sometimes? I found that it doesn't do much good. No, no, but the price yeah. of gas. Isn't this getting ridiculous and, and inflation? Mm -hmm. But we need to understand that's not the kind of grumbling. That's not what the word means here. It's certainly not what it meant in the Old Testament. Uh, when we have struggles and trials, we, we call upon God. Help us, Lord. Okay. But to grumble is to say, no, I'm not going to call upon God because he isn't going to help me. In fact, he's really the source of my problem. If you read through those Old Testament stories that are being referenced here, essentially what the children of Israel said over and over is, we made a mistake in following you, God. Man, we'd rather be slaves again. We want to go back and be slaves. If it was a, we shouldn't have followed Moses. I don't know what we were thinking. See, that's a whole different thing. That is, is tempting the Lord, as it says uh, in, in the scriptures, uh, it's it's one thing to struggle. It's one thing to have doubts and concerns, but but to out, out and out reject. Or, or the other thing here, of course, is then they went and they they went and worshipped other gods. That that's the first story here about those who indulged in sexual immorality, as some of them did. Uh, because the story there in the Bible isn't just that they were having sexual relationships with these these other people, these pagans, but they were also having sexual relationships with them as they were worshiping their gods. <laughs> okay, um, so so that's the thing to realize. Yeah, these people had had out and out rejected God. They had chosen to follow their own idols. And is it any surprise, uh, because it's the very first thing they did after God gave them the Ten Commandments, uh, Aaron built them a, a golden calf and, and said, well, bow down and worship this. This is what your God is, even though God had specifically said, do not make any graven images of me. <laughs> he couldn't really be much clearer. Um, but, but see, you were right. You were right in what you said earlier. So again, he repeats that word, uh, taibos. Uh, now these things happen to them as a type, but they are written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And, and the word for instruction there again is really much more powerful than instruction. It, it literally means you're warned. You are warned. Because as you said, if you think you can stand, if you think because you're religious enough, you know, and you're a good Christian, oh, nothing's ever going to overwhelm you. Well, well, you are wrong. You are wrong because we're sinners and none of us are going to stand on our own. 
Now, now we get into the really good verse, verse 13, uh, which I just said we need to kind of unpack. But uh, I, I don't mean to be monopolizing the discussion, and it is easy for me to do that. And in and, and, and the old days, uh, Phil, what people would do is they would reach across and slap me. But now that we do this on the Internet, we can't do that anymore. <laughs> so, so do you have any thoughts about this whole business about uh, putting Christ to the test, as he says? Well, I'd like to actually think about this from the perspective of people today. So we talk yes. about what it means for the Corinthians, and we talk about the typological effects that these events that Paul begins with have on our understanding of God's eventual institution of the sacraments. For the Corinthians, they look to these things as, well, I've been baptized, and so I can pretty much do what I want. I have the Lord's Supper. Perhaps it covers up anything else that wasn't covered by my baptism. These ideas of cheap grace, as it's also been called, are not foreign to us today. So maybe from your extensive pastoral experience as a pastor emeritus, share with me, you know, how our listeners can identify this in their own lives, how we see in congregations people relying. You know, you want to have confidence in your baptism because you have every right to have confidence that you're saved through Christ, but it is not a license to sin. The sacraments aren't licenses to sin. Um, it's that idea where, you know, the boy prayed and prayed and prayed for a bicycle and never got one. So then he just went and stole one and then asked for forgiveness. And that's a joke that's that's commonly used against Christian ideas that I'm going to live however I want out in the world. But on Sunday, I'll just, you know, get it all forgiven and then go back to living how I want. So in the greater context of Paul warning them against, you know, everything, even from exposing themselves to temple worship that they've fled from already to temple prostitutes and other pagan ideas to even just idolizing wealth and power that the Corinthian uh, Corinthian pagans would have done. He says, listen, you being a Christian doesn't mean that you are, you know, uh, in in uh, completely impenetrable is, you know, that these things cannot affect you at all. In fact, you need one another and you need God. So how does this look today? How are people sometimes overly relying on God to protect them from the temptations that they willfully just walk into. So uh, you, you, you asked from, from my experience, uh, and, and in my experience, uh, what you're talking about, oh man, I'm going to get some of my Roman Catholic friends angry at me. <laughs> Although I think most of them would agree with me. I, I think we usually think about that as a problem for the Roman Catholics, you know, that you would you would do whatever you want to do. Well, I'm going to go to the priest and make confession and, and everything will be OK. Um, but honestly, I didn't encounter that a lot because I think most people know, yeah, probably having uh, uh, sexual relations with, with someone other than your wife, that's probably wrong. And no matter how many times you go to confession or how many times you take the Lord's Supper or, or how many times, oh, but I was baptized, I think pretty well, yeah, that probably is still going to be an issue. Uh, and, and you're right, though. You're right. There were people that thought that uh, so much that Paul has to talk about that. He says, you know, uh, no, you can't just say, well, I'm forgiven. Therefore, I can do whatever I damn well please. Uh, that That's not right. Uh, the, 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 the bigger problem I encountered, though, was, again, people who thought that God was going to love and forgive them. And maybe they didn't actually consciously think this, but it's what was going on in the back of the mind. Because I go to church every week. 
that, that means God will treat me different. Uh, because I say my prayers every night. That means, okay, I shouldn't have any problems. I shouldn't have any trials. And, and so when they do have problems and they do have trials, because Christ said, take up your cross and follow me. You know, man, he was really pretty blunt <laughs> about what it is to follow him. Uh, yeah, then, then they would kind of despair and then they would wrestle. And then they would say, well, what's wrong? Because I went to church. I went to church every week. This shouldn't be happening to me. So, so that's the phenomenon that I saw more than that people were doing all kinds of outward sinful things and then say, well, because I'm baptized, or I took the supper, everything's going to be okay. Uh, but there is definitely that, this thought that because we're religious, uh, that's what's going to make us okay. And, and of course, Paul directly addresses both of those issues in what he has to say in the next verse. Yeah. Interesting. Well, brother, we're up against a break, so let's take a pause for just a few moments and listen to these messages. Dear listener, don't go anywhere. In just a few moments when we return, Pastor Lukomsky will continue on 1 Corinthians chapter 10. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me today is the Reverend John Lukomsky, co-host of Wrestling with the Basics, also here on KFUO Radio. Now, Pastor, before the break, we were talking about the concept of people thinking that, in your words, because they go to church, then they don't have to worry about living out their faith actively. That second part was my interpretation of your words. Um, I see. I see, however the same i think we're saying the same thing because going to church entails participation in the sacraments and when people often will think well i'm a christian i guess what i'm reflecting on is my upbringing in a church body that believed in once saved always saved and there were two errors that came from this erroneous teaching which paul specifically speaks against he says this isn't a once saved, always saved. This is a once saved for the glorification of God. And you live out that faith with God's help, of course, but you can absolutely, you know, jump right back into idolatry, jump right back into sinfulness, a willful sinfulness. So in my experience, people would either say once saved, always saved. And when they came up against a sin of their own or they fell into sin, as everyone does, then they lamented that they must have never been saved in the first place, and it would require that they rededicate their life to Christ, maybe even get rebaptized, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it just didn't stick the first time, and it resulted in a lack of trust in God's ability to save you. 
On the other end of the spectrum, people would say once saved, always saved. And therefore, whatever I do, the law no longer speaks to me that I don't have to acknowledge the law. And they wouldn't have had the terminology of things like third use. But the reality of the law being good and gracious and a guide for our Christian living, how to live out our Christian life as being a part of what it means to be a Christian would really be absent from their thinking. You know, I'm saved. All that matters is that I got baptized. And as long as I'm baptized, I can live any way I please. And when we talk about open rescind, I'm talking about everything from, you know, um, guilt free and rampant divorce, living together outside of marriage, people, uh, you know, cheating on their taxes, people uh, speeding down the road. There are all kinds of ways in which we live against every one of the commandments that just doesn't seem to bother people anymore. And so there's this reminder of Paul that says you can jump back into all these sinful behaviors, but God has called you to something better. Don't look at your baptism or your participation in the sacraments. And I only use those two sacraments in particular because Paul brings them up in reference to the types of in the Old Testament. But he, he's, he's reminding us that we are saved for a purpose, not to just go on living for ourselves and our own sinfulness, but so that we can live for God. And so I definitely understand and appreciate how you would say, yeah, some people just attribute going to church as being, well, you know, that's that's it. I've checked the religious box this week. Now I can just do whatever I want. And that's not what God has called us to do. And, and you know, it's, yeah, I think it's really interesting, Phil, because I, I think that's why we come to this text with with a little different uh, uh, outlook, although not a contrary. I think a complementary outlook, because because see, you you came out of a church body, once saved, always saved. See, I was born and raised uh, as a Lutheran, have known nothing other than 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 the Lutheran Church, and, and, and no one in Lutheranism would ever say that because we know that's wrong. <laughs> see, the problem is though, as you allude. Yeah, we, we know that from an intellectual standpoint, it's wrong, but we end up doing the same thing. We, we end up thinking that religious activity, that's what it's all about in terms of God's eyes. Uh, whereas, as you're pointing out, it's not religious activity. Loving the neighbor, yeah, that's, that is a worthwhile fruit, and that is the fruit that should flow from our faith. Uh, but you're right, just because you sat in the pew for 45 minutes. See, see no, no, no Lutheran would ever say, oh, I once saved, always saved. Uh, but well, they would certainly think, though, as long as you do your your religious duty, then then everything's going to be OK. And so maybe we can kind of we would never cheat on our taxes, but we might fudge. <laughs> we might fudge a bit. Uh, and of course, see, that runs totally contrary to the whole idea of, of, of Lutheran faith, because if in the catechism, Luther says every every day you need to get up, make the sign of the cross to remind yourself you're baptized and remind yourself the reason you were baptized and why baptism is so important is because you're a sinner. And you've sinned again. And if you just give God's law a chance, you'd see that you're you're not loving the neighbors the way you should. You've been jealous. You've been lustful. You've been judgmental. You know, just lift list the whole list there. And so now we got to go back and realize, oh, man, if I'm going to get anything done, it's just like you said, Jesus, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I'm going to have to be 
that that branch and and and, and uh, you're going to have to be the vine uh and that forgiveness of sins i have yeah yeah that's got to come to the forefront and that's what's going to change everything i'm doing so it's fun to talk because it is interesting how how we we the the backgrounds we come in how it influences what we see uh, the problems being um but i think either way the answer that paul gives us in verse 13 is absolutely crucial um so where do you think we should go from here well first of all i think it's pretty bold to say that no lutherans would say that you know i've known <laughs> a lot of lutherans who have uh given their hearts to jesus who said the sinner's prayer and many of them have never in the morning crossed themselves and said you know from luther's small catechism and won't even cross themselves in church lutherans who believe that we shouldn't have <laughs> we shouldn't have crucifixes in the worship space so I think Lutherans are as heavily influenced by the evangelicalism that sort of flows through our country as anybody else. And so you'll see that behavior. I like to say you're, you're, Lutherans don't give Lutherans don't give their heart to Jesus uh, until confirmation. And then what do they do? They get up and they say, OK, I'm accepting Jesus as my personal savior. So we have to be very careful that we don't give up our um, traditions passed down literally from the prophets and apostles in the early church. To, to some of these movements that have been happening across Christendom. And one of those is to take scripture out of context, which is where we get to 13, because, uh, yes, yeah, a lot of bad theology has come out of that text, too. But, yeah, I'll go ahead and let you uh, address that, but then we'll get into 13. Well, and, and so you're hanging out with the wrong Lutherans. <laughs> and everything you say is absolutely true. And as a retired guy, I get to go to different churches, and and, and you're right. You, you encounter things, and you're thinking, my goodness, I, I, how could that be in a Lutheran church? Because you're right. It's not about turning your heart over to Jesus. It's not about us doing anything. That That's the heart of it. It's about us repenting and then being baptized and then believing that in that baptism our sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ, and then it's about being filled with the Holy Spirit. So so you're, you're right. You're right that— uh, um, the way the Lutheran Church is today, you're absolutely right. But see, I'm an old-time guy, and, and I remember the way it used to be. And, and none of that stuff would have happened, but you, you're right. We've let all of these things influence us. Because, again, we were looking for success. And, oh, man, aren't the evangelicals successful? And they got churches with 10,000 people in them. And I'm thinking, yeah, but how many of those people really, really understand baptism and the Lord's Supper and the forgiveness of sins? And, and how do they make, well, let, let's look at 13, because I think it's where you really get that distinction made. Um, see, see, it doesn't say, here, here's what you'll find quoted in those uh, evangelical churches and those Lutheran churches that have been influenced by them. You, you'll have it said, well, you don't need to worry because God's never going to give you more than you can bear. And, and that's not what it says at all, does it? It, it says, no, that there's all kinds of things that you can't bear. There's all kinds of things that will crush you, chief of which is your own inherent sinfulness. All right. So, no, God doesn't say that you'll never have more than you can endure. But what it does say is that God is faithful. All right. And he's going to see to it that you're not tempted. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Um, I heard an evangelical preacher just like you were talking about uh, this last Sunday. We were visiting some some uh, family members 
my wife's family and and uh, so they're evangelical and so we you know, we sat and we listened uh, to their church on the the TV because well that's the respectful thing you do when you're a guest and the guy had a lot of good things to say the the guy pointed out that uh, we have to be filled with the right stuff his analogy was you, you can't it doesn't matter how good the printer is if it doesn't have paper it's not going to be able to accomplish anything it doesn't matter how expensive and fancy your coffee maker is if it doesn't have coffee it's not going to do any good and so he had these beautiful passages he quoted about being filled with the holy spirit you know and all the while i'm saying well tell us how though how I, you got a point about how and then he read the passage that answers that acts chapter 2 the one I just quoted, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and you know what, Phil? He just dismissed that. He just said, oh, yeah, that's just something about how we need to obey. And, and, and I'm thinking, no, no, a baptism is not some kind of figurative language there for obedience. And if it was, they didn't understand it because they went around and they put people in the water and said right. in the name of the Father, the Holy Spirit on them. Uh, but see, that was the thing. And, and he concluded by saying, yep, you've got to open the door to Jesus. And it's exactly the thing that you were talking about. No, no. What we have to realize is we can't stand. And the law does that. You start listening to what God says in the law. You realize you cannot stand. And then the gospel comes and says, you know what, but... Look at those people. Look at those people, how they sinned in the wilderness. And yet in the end, God took them to the promised land. You know, even Moses suggested, maybe we should just start from scratch. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. That's what God suggested. And Moses yeah, pleaded right. for them and said, don't do that. Because that's what God wanted all along. Uh, um, so that's the thing. He's given us a way of escape. Uh, but the thing you've got to know, the way of escape is you're right. It's not some ritual. It's not going to church. But it is, it is Jesus Christ. He is the only way of escape. And in Christ, then, yeah, we will be able to endure precisely because we know we can't endure on our own. Sure. And just a caveat, though, you know, it's not the mere act of going to church like ex opere operato, just the magic yeah. of having gone. Obviously, though, gathering with other believers is both commanded and necessary because it's there that God comes to us through the sacraments, which do strengthen our faith which do give us forgiveness there, and he's chosen only there in the communion and company of saints to give us those gifts. So attendance in church is important, but it's not attendance for the sake of attendance, saying, well, I've signed the attendance book, therefore I'm good. It's no, it's by being available in worship to receive the gifts that God wants to give you. And so it, 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 it recalls to me the doxology from Jude when he says, now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless, etc." the whole idea here is that God is the one active. Your abilities are easily overcome. The only reason it would not be let you be tempted beyond your ability is because it is God active in providing that way of escape. And for most Christians, the way of escape is to be in the word to be where God's word and sacrament is proclaimed. So I just want to make that clear that we're not, I, I don't think you're saying that people shouldn't go to church. 
<laughs> well, you know, I'm retired now, so. <laughs> no, <laughs> so it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I'm getting my retirement whether people come to church or not. But, but and that's exactly the attitude that I am addressing. And you're you're absolutely right. Uh, uh, no, see that that's the thing. Why do you? Let's go back to the, the way this text starts. He says they had a rock. They drank from the rock, and the rock was Christ. See, now, now the problem is maybe you're carrying the rock around thinking, hey, I got a mate. I got this rock. Anytime I get thirsty, I just go and get drink from the rock. And maybe that's what people do regard baptism as. You know, I got this baptism. I'm set. I'm okay. You know, anything goes wrong, I do some sin. It, it takes care of me. Uh, um, and, and I will acknowledge that as a lifelong Lutheran. I do get concerned because I know there's a lot of uh, Lutherans who will say, oh, I got to get my child baptized. But they have no idea why. It's just because it's a tradition. And, and well, actually, because grandma wants me to do it. I frankly don't care that much. But grandma wants me, so I guess we better do that. So I'm not denying. But, but, but see, I, I got off track. My point is, you, you got to see Christ in all that. Why, why is baptism important? Well, number one, because Christ told us to do it. And I guess that ought to be enough for us. But number two, Christ tells us that in that baptism, all our sins are going to be washed away. And we're going to be given the Holy Spirit. And our lives are literally going to be changed. So if you're going to get baptized, you better realize that. Something something profound, something beyond even your your conception is going to happen. Death and resurrection. Because Christ is there. And, and see, that's the thing with the Lord's Supper too, isn't it, Phil? It's not that we just go so we can eat some bread and drink some wine and we've now fulfilled the the uh, thing that we do every Sunday. <laughs> okay. As you said, check that off. No, no, we've got to know Christ is there. And he's very clear why he's there. This is the body given. This is the blood shed for the forgiveness of sins, for your forgiveness of sins. And that that's why you're going to be able to make it through all the, the problems and the struggles. Not because you did something, but because you now know that Jesus Christ is with you. And we know what happens when Christ is with us. We suffer because Christ suffered. But we also win. We're victorious. We rise from the dead. We know how the whole thing comes out because it's all about Christ. The activity of Christ, you said there. And that, that's exactly the point. So see, to me, that, that's the problem. We, we do the sacraments, but there's no Christ there. And if there's no Christ there, then, then, oh, then the irony is the sacraments are still really powerful. Only you, you didn't, you didn't get to appreciate or enjoy. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we, benefit. we may not always recognize that Christ is there, but of course he's always there because it's by his power, not ours, that he's present. I want to get some uh, more verses in. Actually, we yes. have several more and only a few minutes left in the show, like okay. 12 minutes. So this is 14 through 22. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? 
Now, we could spend a whole hour just on this text, I admit that. Yes, we could. Um, But uh, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a koinonia, intimate participation in the blood of Christ? And the same, the intimate participation in the body of Christ. Um, I actually like Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, and these passages for the seres doctrina, right? The seat of doctrine for true presence, even better than, you know, Luther's go-to, which was the is means is. I think this is even clearer and, and hard to dispute. What do you think? Well, and, and uh, I, I like them both. <laughs> Don't make me choose between you and Luther, please. <laughs> What's well, between but, but, Paul here and Luther, but yeah. Okay, yeah, all right. Uh, but, but uh, you know, the, the point is absolutely, that, that that's the thing, and that's what I was talking about. So there are people, and I'm sad to say probably Lutherans is too as well. But man, every time I preached, I preached about the Lord's Supper, and I made it perfectly clear to people that this is Christ, just like you said here. You you are communing, participating, this intimacy connection with the Lord Jesus Christ for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Yeah, because uh, otherwise it, it 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 is so. That's the frustrating thing. You have something that literally gives people new life, and yet they 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 go through the motions and don't understand what's going on. Um, so, so you're right. This is a very, very, uh, powerful affirmation of the real presence and, and the real presence because that changes everything when we eat and we drink. Uh, and, and you're right. Then there will be fruit that will come from this and it will be a, a fruit that wants to go to church. You're right. I'm not going to church because I have to, but I'm going to church because, man, I am having trouble standing. I really am. I got all things that are just threatening to overwhelm me. I don't know if I can endure them or not. So here, Lord Jesus, come to me again. Give me this communion you talked about this, uh, and, and join together with me and remind me that, no, I'm still your forgiven child, even though there are things that are bothering my conscience. Um, the, the one thing I would throw in here, too, is, man, aren't you glad you're not pastor at Corinth? Because <laughs> I was thinking, th- these people, I, w- I was going down the country road just south of you, uh, there in, in Lamar, Iowa. So not a little south of where you're at. Uh, and we're on the country roads and those roads are narrow. And man, you got a ditch on your right and ditch on your left. And I was thinking, that's the way it is with the Corinthians. Just a few chapters ago, Paul was telling them, well, you can eat meat offered to idols. Idols don't mean anything. They're, they're nothing, you know? And then we turn around, there's another group in the other ditch that are saying, well, then I guess we can go and have sacrifices with our, our pagan brothers since their idols are nothing. And so Paul says, no, no, no. No, I'm not. The food offered to idols is anything. I'm not saying that an idol is anything. No, because they're demons. That's what they are. And now you're worshiping demons. How can you do that? How can you share in the communion with demons if you've been sharing with the communion of Jesus Christ? So it just struck me, man, Paul must have had his hands full with Corinth because well, if they he, aren't he certainly did. driving it's, in the right ditch, they're driving in the left ditch. Yeah. Well, it's also a beautiful application of law and gospel, or maybe I should oh, say man. in Waltherian talk, the proper distinction between law and gospel. So for those who uh, recognize that it's nothing – but feel guilty, then there's the gospel of, well, it's nothing. Idols aren't a real thing. Don't worry about it. And then for those who are secure in their sins and joining in with the revelry and the worship, then it's like, hey, idols are nothing, but what they're doing 
is demonic and you have to not be involved with that. <laughs> and so you're like, well, wait a minute. Isn't that two faced? There's two different approaches for two different people. And the answer is correct. You know, the person who comes in and says, uh, pastor, uh, will God forgive someone if they murder somebody? And if you say, yes, God forgives everybody, and then they go out and murder their neighbor, you've improperly made a distinction between law and gospel. But if they come in and they say, hey, listen, 20 years ago, I murdered a guy. I did my time, but I just feel like God hasn't forgiven me. Then you say, well, God forgives all sins, and you you know, you know, you pronounce absolution. So the proper distinction between law and gospel, I think, is on display in those situations that you described. Absolutely. And so for everyone out there, if someone comes in and says, is it a sin to murder your brother? Maybe you should say, why? Why are you asking? Why do you want to know? That's an important. <laughs> why do you want to know? <laughs> but but see, you've illustrated it perfectly. So we have these people that are weak and they're struggling. And man, we don't want to do anything to cause them to fail, to offend them, to cause them to fall into sin. And then on the other hand, you've got these really strong Christians. And then, well, we just have to be really adamant with them. I don't know what else you can do except be adamant and just say, no, you're wrong. How can you do that? Uh, and you're right. It's a difficult thing to make that distinction. But again, with the help of the word, as you've emphasized earlier, too, because uh, you're right. No, I don't want to give anyone the impression they shouldn't go to church. I'm just saying, yeah, I got to go to church because there's where Christ is at. Uh, and I don't know how you're going to get through your week with all the struggles and trials that are out there in the world unless you know that God loves you and God forgives you. I don't know how you're going to, even if you're not having struggles and trials, how are you going to be the person that will be of aid and service that will lift the brother up? You're not going to do that on your own. You're going to have to have Christ to help you accomplish that as well. Um, and is this not just a beautiful text and reminding us, because it's all about the blood of Christ, isn't it? It's all about the body of Christ. Um, and, and I, I appreciate you emphasizing that because I think we do, we run to the passage about, you know, this is the body, this is the blood. But uh, Paul can only say that because he's already said it is, uh, in this chapter. Right. Right. Yeah. I, and I, I like also what he ends with, which is a very matter of fact, you know, declaration. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. He began this section sacramentally, typologically connecting the manna, the bread from heaven, and the spiritual water that came out of the rock. He connected that with now the sacrament of God through the Lord's Supper and the reality that you can't have you can't have it both ways. Uh, with just one minute left in the program, brother, uh, what I'll, you have the final word? One minute, if you can do it. <laughs> All right. Well, well, back to baptism real quickly, because, again, see, that's a type. And that's what Paul is saying. You look at the Old Testament and you see how God works. When those people crossed through the Red Sea, they were saved, weren't they? They were freed from from slavery. Uh, but, but see, they didn't believe that, did they? They thought, oh, no, no, we've still got problems. God's still not in control, even though he had shown them with powerful signs and this wonderful thing of dividing the Red Sea. So let us understand that. When you were baptized, God did save you. Now believe that and, and let it flow in your life in terms of love for the neighbor and let it let God cover you and give you strength when you are tempted. Because you're right, you can fall. There are things that are more than we can bear. But the key thing is God is faithful in Christ. 
God is faithful in Christ. I love it, brother. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend John Lukomsky, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics, also on KFUO, airing on Saturdays at 1030 in the morning. Thank you, too, dear listener, for tuning in to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Tune in tomorrow as we continue in 1 Corinthians with the second half of chapter 10. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.